Welcome back to Rural Routes. I'm Trent Luce, sitting alongside Cal Bauer, but I can't see him. That's a good way to see. Actually, I'm sitting 300 miles from him. The best way to be with him, Chris Molinaro and Dr. Dan Niffen, our, our guest today on Rural Routes, is Chris did the legwork to organize the National Meat End Day yesterday, and I think it's important that we don't just say, well, we've always consumed beef products. We need to explain from a essential nutrient standpoint, as Chris Molinaro did yesterday. The one thing, Chris, I would like to uh, just reemphasize with you is that, and I've spent a lot of time on this lately, actually we had a guest on very recently on this program, fat is also an essential nutrient. And because we are avoiding fat, it is causing health problems in itself. For example, omega-3 fatty acids is very essential in uh, proper brain development. We now have about 22% of the United States population, which will be recognized as clinically depressed and uh, in their lifetime. That's the 22% number. So we need to explain that fat is an essential nutrient in our daily life. Now, you asked the question earlier, who organizes the National Meat Out Day? It is the first animal rights organization in this country, a group called FARM. I have actually interviewed the founder of FARM, went to one of his animal rights conventions. He is a survivor. His parents, I should say, were survivors of the Holocaust, and yet Alex Hershoff looked me in the eye, actually had a recorder, I have this on tape, and said that today's food animal production is no different than how my parents were treated in Nazi concentration camps during World War II. <laughs> that's a concept that's going to be tough for most of us to grasp, and yet that's the message that's being sent to our nation's youth. Um, I, Chris, I'm interested. Is it? Um, do you see a large portion of the student population uh, that are outward vegetarians? Um, I wouldn't say a large percentage, but I mean, I run into kids who don't eat meat, sure. or like you know, they don't understand the production story, so that's why they don't eat it. But for instance, oh, I'm sorry. Did you ever live in the dorms? Yes, I do right now. Okay, and for instance, um, do do you see? Let's say one in ten people coming through eating a vegetarian diet. Um, I would say so. About and is it generally uh, female? Yes. Yeah, I mean that—that's my perception over the years as I've run into vegetarians. It's—it's it's much much more usual to see female than than male. And um, most of the time when I ask them uh, why, they normally say, "Man." I just prefer not to, and that's about all that's said. Do you know why most of them would be? Have you con confronted them or asked them about it? Um, I think it's because they're uneducated as far as the production story goes. They think, like Trent said, they think it's a horrible way that we raise animals, and it's just a matter of they're uneducated as to what we really do when we raise the animals, and it's, you know, it's not as bad as they think. If, if I mean, it's just our number that we picked here, is if 10% of them coming through are eating vegetarian what percentage of those would you say are are female? I mean, Probably about you, half. Oh, it's just half is all? I, I would agree with that number, Kyle. And actually, okay. there's, there's a national survey conducted recently that indicates self-proclaiming, one in three. Now, that is what they say when they are asked a survey. We don't know that they actually lead a life that's animal-free, but even if that's skewed twice as much as it should be, one in three, one in, one, one in ten, isn't too many. Well, I understand, but but first of all, Penn State is not like Georgetown University. I mean, it is a land grant college, right? Yes. So they aren't necessarily the general population, and I guarantee it's not ten percent at Kansas State. 
You are absolutely wrong. No, I'm, I'm not. You are I'm absolutely not. wrong. Have you stood in line at the at the dorms and actually done a survey or no, seen the surveys? But I will. Okay, and and I have talked to a number of kids, and they say it's unusual to see it. it because they're not looking for it. I guarantee you that Chris Molinaro is tuned into this and understands this happens under our nose every single day, and we don't even notice it. And Chris Molinaro just said it was one in ten. How can you tell that it's not that it's one in three when she just told you it's one in ten, and you're telling me that she's tuned in? I'm telling you that there's a well. She think, at least recognizes there's one in ten. Oh, I understand. The Kansas but State University. Oh, there are none here. Oh, yeah. I, I had didn't one say my none. I said it's unusual. Uh, I disagree with you. It's unusual. And but the point is, is Penn State and Kansas State are not um, uh, the normal, or if you will, they would tend to be higher meat eaters than, let's say, KU, for instance. All right, Dan Niffen has been at Penn. He is at Penn State. He's been at Colorado State. You can give us the demographic difference, Dan, although you've been there long enough now that I believe the general thought process of students have, has changed since you left Colorado State. What, what You want to weigh in here? Uh, boy, I wish I could, Trent, that I could, I could give you some number on that, but uh, I actually didn't spend very much time uh, in contact with students while I was in Colorado. Uh, I was more on a research base instead of uh, involved with students like I am here at Penn State. And so, unfortunately, I really can't speak to the thing relative to Colorado, but, um, you know, the other part of the equation is Colorado may not be the world's greatest example either because there'll be um, a fair influx of out-of-state students there that, um, that may bring some different thoughts. And there's a significant difference between Colorado State and, Col- and CU. Absolutely. In the makeup. I mean, there's no comparison to the makeup of the students between the two. And I want to go back to another analogy that you made, Cal, that I think is worth discussing, and we'll let Dan and Chris weigh in, obviously. The difference between Penn State and Georgetown. There is a, a high urban influence in students at Penn State University. What we have at Penn State University is a small group of block and bridle students like Chris Molinaro who see what's happening. And what was it, last fall, Dan, there was a PETA protest at, on campus, too, and a, a group of block and bridle students went to that protest and said, wait a minute, make sure you tell the whole story. I believe that these students at land Grant universities like Penn State who are getting a, a high influence of urban-thinking people coming into a land Grant university are witnessing and, and living with experiences that motivate them to get more involved in telling the story. And uh, I think see the bigger picture that uh, we are close to the trend and the general attitudes of our consumers, particularly our nation's youth, changing. Dan? Well, Trent, and I was going to follow that up with, um, and you know the students are aware of that, and they're sensitized to it, but a lot of them aren't sure how to go about um, confronting that issue without being either, one, confrontational, or two, uh, combative on the issue. And, um, you know, and I know you don't like to talk about it, Trent, but uh, but with you raising their awareness on these things, it has taught students or trained students that it's okay for them to express what their beliefs and their opinion is and to stick to the facts and do it in a constructive manner. And now that the students are becoming aware of this on campus, it's a lot easier for them to become advocates for their profession and for agriculture in general. And, um, uh, you know, there's no two ways about it. Your trips to campus have been absolutely positive to help put our students in that position to feel um, that it's okay to go down there and confront those issues uh, and address that with people. The other part of the equation is that 
you know, whenever you're trying to discuss an emotional issue, it doesn't matter how much science or numbers or research you put there. Uh, when they attack it from the emotional side, you know it's always tough to turn aside and argue emotion with science. But I think our students are in a position now that they can at least confront the issues and say, let's make sure we talk about both sides. Even last night, and I don't know what this movie is, and I don't want to give it the proper promo, but there was a, some commercial on television at 10 o'clock with the, our local news where it was obviously a kid movie. Two kids are sitting eating. One's eating a hamburger, and the other kid says, well, you're eating a chopped-up cow, and you could tell this little girl just went, I'm eating what? But that's a message that is being sent to our, our nation's youth, Kyle, and we have far too long ignored it, and it's time that we do a better job of explaining and ride the way when we get the opportunity. That is exactly what happened under Chris Molinaro's leadership yesterday at Penn State University. Um, can we get some numbers about how many students on campus at Penn State? Is that a fair question? There's about 43,000. Okay, and do you have any idea how many are in the College of Ag? I mean, is that, again, is the College of Ag a small college at Penn State or an average size or... It's probably an average-sized college, but uh, it's a small percentage of the 43,000. So would it be under 4,000? In the Department of Animal Science alone, which is the largest department within our College of Agriculture, we have about 250 students. <clears throat> and how many members in Block and Bridal? About 125. So on a campus of 43,000, you have 125 B&B members. Uh, you know, I don't know how many is at Kansas State right now, but when I was in school, there was north of 250. Kyle, how many are in Lichtenstein? Um, too many. Yeah. It's Rural Routes. Chris Molinaro, Dan Niffin, Kyle Bauer, myself, Trent Luce. We'll be back with more after this. Did you know the mandate for biofuels presents a real problem on the rural route? Here's why. While the corn-fed fuel is driving an economic boom, it's also utilizing a larger share of our feed corn. Analysts predict the ethanol industry will pull 139 million tons of corn from the 2008 harvest. This puts our industry in crisis, but there's an opportunity for the producer. We can address the rising cost of feedstuffs by using dried distiller's grains and solubles, the co-products of ethanol production. Trouble is, DDGs are an inconsistent feed source. This can be addressed through secondary fermentation products. We're talking about solid-state fermentation. By using this technology on the dried distiller's grains, we can provide a more consistent and higher quality feed source. Embracing technologies such as Alzheimer SSF allows the producer to reduce variability of dried distiller's grains and increase feeding rates. This message brought to you by Alltech, delivering performance through nutrition. The details are on the website www.alltech.com. 